Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. The Apostle Paul boldly declares that he is not ashamed of the gospel. But the trials that Paul experienced would surely test the confidence of even the strongest believer. And yet here he is, unashamed and fully confident that the good news of Jesus Christ is truth, bringing salvation and transformation to all who receive it. But have we lost confidence in the gospel today? After all, telling people about Jesus can be a scary business, especially in a culture often hostile towards sharing the Christian faith. The gospel has lost none of its power, speaking directly into these three basic questions. Who am I? Who is God? And who is Jesus Christ? The gospel is good news to be announced to all people, declaring that there is hope, there is meaning, there is salvation, and transformation is possible for those who accept Jesus Christ as Lord of their life. This is why the gospel is so powerful. If it really is true, life can never be the same. morning, South Valley. It's great to be back here. Great to see you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Hey, um, my name is Manny, and uh, I've been a guest here before, um, filling in, and it's just always a pleasure to be over here. Somebody asked me earlier after the first service, hey, was your wife here? Could you introduce her before um, before second service? She's sitting right over here. Honey, can you just stand up real quick so everybody can say hello? We have... um, Relocated, we're now living in beautiful Monterey where Denise grew up. Uh, We finally achieved uh, the status of empty nesters. We had to move back in with my in-laws to make that possible. But no, that's that's real. We were living upstairs from the house that Denise grew up and left our boys down in Fresno where they're both in school. My oldest son, Manny, will be graduating this spring um, from Fresno State. He's already got a job lined up with the Federal Reserve Bank in San Francisco. And Denise actually is, she just received her email from Fresno State saying that she is graduating her diploma. Is it on the way yet, your diploma? Her diploma's on her way. She's working as an accountant in, in Monterey. And I'm teaching Spanish at Trinity Christian High School in Monterey. And so we're having a blast. It's just awesome. Um, I never thought I'd enjoy teaching, being an educator so much, and it's just a blast. Great group of students um, there in Monterey. So if you have your Bibles, open up to uh, the book of 1 Thessalonians. It's in the New Testament. Um, in the New Testament, or if you mobile apps, turn there as well. Chapter 1, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. March 28th, 1984, will go down as an unforgettable date in the history of of Baltimore Colt football fans. Without any public announcement, Bob Ursay, the owner of the franchise, hired movers to pack the team's offices in the middle of the night and relocate them to Indianapolis. An entire sports franchise literally snuck out of town under the cover of darkness while the city of Baltimore slept. 
In his first uh, conference, news conference, fought after the move in Indianapolis, Ursay told reporters that the main reason why he decided to leave Baltimore, he said, you people of the press were hounding my family for two years, and I wasn't about to take any more. Well, this was also the reason why Paul left the ancient Greek city of Thessalonica. Even though Paul's time in Thessalonica was brief, it was also blessed. In just three short weeks, the gospel had been preached with great success. If you go back and read Luke's account of this, his time there, Luke says in, verse, in Acts 17 that some of them were persuaded and they joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. Because of his success, the, the local Jews became jealous. They instigated a citywide riot against Paul and his companions. This uprising against them was so violent and dangerous that the, the new disciples in Thessalonica thought it would be best to smuggle Paul and Silas out of town like the cults under the cover of darkness. And this is what causes Paul to write this first letter to the Thessalonians. You see, the gospel in Thessalonica, the gospel work had been inter interrupted. It had barely gotten off the ground, and there were still many issues that Paul wanted to address. And so Paul feared that these spiritual newborns were not equipped to stand strong. And so as you get into the letter, you kind of begin to hear his heart that this deeply concerned him. How are they doing? I had to leave so quickly. Was my, was my time there a waste? Did any of the things that I taught them, did, it, did they have time to take root? Or were the things so undeveloped that it just crumbled under the pressure of persecution and temptation? After all, how much work could really have been accomplished in a measly three weeks? Well, well Paul couldn't stand it. He couldn't stand not knowing how they were doing. He just had to know. And so he sent Timothy to find out. And when Timothy returned, he had good news. Paul, it worked. The gospel worked. Their faith isn't only surviving, they are thriving. The gospel worked. I remember a couple Christmases ago, one of the gifts I asked for was a mechanical toothbrush, the Oral-B Pro 7000. Now, at that time, this toothbrush what could have been called the, the Cadillac of Oral-B toothbrushes. It has six cleaning modes. It provided 800 brush strokes per second. This thing is no joke. It has a two-minute timer, and it has a, visual, a visible pressure sensor that if I, I press too hard, a little light flashes and says, hey, you're pressing too hard, you're damaging your gums. And can you believe? This thing even has an app to give me real-time feedback on my brushing habits. This thing is amazing. 
Well, when I opened it, the box contained everything I needed. User-friendly, easy-to-read, step-by-step instructions, a premium charger, a travel case, and three different brush heads. It seemed like the manufacturer had thought about every single detail so I would have the optimal experience using their product. Well, guess what? After I charged it, it worked. And it continues to work. It functions properly. It does what it's supposed to do. And as I read Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, that's also what caught my attention. The main idea of this book is Paul, Paul is letting us know the gospel works. Even though his time was short and there was a lot left undone, when the power of the gospel is unleashed, it's not just active, it doesn't just function. Yes, it functions, but it functions in the way that it was meant to. It accomplishes what God wants it to accomplish. Like it says in Isaiah 55, it will accomplish everything that God wants it to accomplish. It is the same with my word. I send it out. It always produces fruit. It will accomplish what all I want it to. It will prosper everywhere I send it. So how does the gospel work? When it is working in our lives, in our churches, in our community, what can we expect to see? What should our experience be when it's working? This is the question that we'll be answering this morning. But before we get there, we have to get on the same page. What is the gospel? If we're trying to answer the question, how does the gospel work? What does it do? Well, what is the gospel? Here it is in a nutshell. The gospel is the good news that the kingdom of God, the rule, the reign of God has come through Jesus, who is the king of this kingdom. Jesus died on the cross for your sin, was buried, and my sin, and was resurrected. And the good news, the good news is that because of God's love and grace for you, he has promised to rescue anyone who repents of sin, believes the gospel, and commits to follow Jesus no matter the cost, without excuses or conditions. So that when Jesus returns... On that great day of judgment, everyone who followed him will enter the eternal kingdom of God. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? That's the central message of Christianity. That message has changed lives. It has drastically affected the course of history. It has radical implications on our destiny. See, that message is what anchors us when the bottom drops out. That message of the gospel is what focus us, focuses us when we get distracted. And that is the same gospel that Paul conveyed to the Thessalonians during the three weeks he was with them. It started working the moment they received and believed in it. Well, how does it work? That's what he tells us in chapter 1. Let's read it together. 
Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love, steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. I can only imagine how thrilling, chilling, and exciting it must have been for Paul as he sat down to write this letter. It it had been about one year since he had to get out of Dodge, and and Timothy returns with this glowing report, and now he's responding to Timothy's report. Paul, the, the people are thriving, they're maturing, they're growing, their faith is vibrant and robust. These early days of faith of living for Jesus. I'm sure for the Thessalonians, they were were challenging, but they were exciting times. Likewise, I've heard it said that the most exciting time for a church is approximately the first 10 years. I mean, it's during those times that there's a freshness and and people are willing to rally and and commit and sacrifice for a, a common vision. But after the 10 year mark, something begins to happen. Over time, that energy begins to wane and stagnation takes place. Atrophy sets in and eventually, sadly, in some occasions, even death. And I'm sure there are some trends that you can identify as to what causes those things. But what I'm more interested in is how do we prevent that? How do we stop that? I think this passage gives us the answer. It's making the gospel the priority and keeping it central so that we can recognize how the gospel works, so we can expect gospel results. Continue reading. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power, And in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Spirit, that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you, in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception that we had among you and how you turned from God, turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. I want to draw your attention to verse number five where Paul wrote that our gospel came to you. Folks, this is how the gospel works. Number one, the gospel works its way to you. The gospel works its way to you. After Jesus' resurrection, but before he ascended, He issued one final command to his disciples. He said, go, 
Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. That command is also known as the Great Commission. It was the grand finale, if you will. This was the grand crescendo. Jesus' purpose for coming, investing his life into these followers, was to fulfill this mission. And it depended entirely on them obeying the command. There was no other plan. There was no plan B. This is what it was all about. And if they didn't do it, I don't know what would have happened. Well, guess what? We know that the gospel worked because Jesus' disciples obeyed the command to go proclaim the gospel, and eventually it made its way, worked its way into Paul's life. We know that the gospel continued to work because Paul obeyed the command to go, and the gospel worked its way to the Thessalonians who had never heard this message before. Luke, in his account in Acts 17, tells us what that was like. He said that Paul reasoned with the Thessalonians from the Scriptures. He explained and proved that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. Now, for reasons that become clear in chapter 2, Paul also wants them to know that he, when he was there preaching this gospel to them that they had never heard of before, that he wasn't some religious huckster, a trickster trying to hustle them into believing this message that they had never heard before. I'm sure in this, as we head into an election season, this might sound familiar to you. Have you I mean, you might even think of some politicians as people who make promises but fail to follow through on those promises. Their words, you, you start hearing them, their words seem hollow and they lack substance. They make big promises, but their words are empty and they lack power. After a while of, of seeing this time after time again and hearing this, skepticism creeps in and you begin to doubt the credibility of anything they say. There, there's even an old Texan saying that describes someone who is all talk. Big hat, no cattle. But not Paul. Mm -mm. He reminds the Thessalonians that when he came to them to present this message, this gospel that they had never heard before, that he didn't have to trick them. He didn't have to impress them and wow them and manipulate them into believing it because his gospel message was validated in three ways. He said, our gospel came to you not only in word. It wasn't just something that we spoke to you, but you saw it in power in the Holy Spirit with full conviction, and then he tags it with, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake? Thessalonians, you know that the gospel works. Because when it worked its way to you, you not only heard it, but you saw the gospel lived out. And that's what attracted them and convinced them to receive it. It was like they're thinking, you know, Paul, what he's talking about, we've, we've never heard it. But it must be credible. Because look at him. 
He's living it out. He really believes that. And that's the answer to our first, to our, that's the first answer to our question. How does the gospel work? The gospel first works its way to you and is received by you. The gospel works its way to you and is received by you. This idea that the gospel works its way to us is so consistent with the character and the nature of God. This God who is relentless in his pursuit of us. For example, I'm sure you remember Jesus who compared God to a shepherd. A shepherd who has a hundred sheep but one of them gets lost. This is how relentless he is in his pursuit of us. He leaves the 99 to go for the, to pursue the one who does that? That just doesn't make sense. doesn't compute. Why would you risk 99? What if when you get back, the 99 are gone? But that's the character and the nature of God. He also compared God to a father. A father who runs to receive a prodigal son when he returns. The gospel works. And it works this way because it's the way God works. The gospel makes its way to you and it's received by you. But I think the greatest picture of this was when he sent his son to pursue us. And then it doesn't stop. It gets better. He sends the gift of his Holy Spirit to show us our sin to show us our need for Jesus. And then it gets even better. He sends other people in pursuit of us with this gospel message to tell us how much God loves us. Romans 1, chapters, verse 16 reminds us that the gospel is God using all of his power, exerting his strength, his energy to do one thing, to rescue anyone who repents. Anyone who believes and commits to follow Jesus no matter the cost, without excuses or conditions. How about you? I'm sure for many of you, this is already true of you. The reason why you're here is because the gospel worked. It worked its way to you. You received it. Someone else who obeyed Jesus, Jesus' command to go, told you invited you, and you received it. But I wouldn't be surprised if there are others here today because the gospel is working its way to you. Are you ready to receive it? Have you come to the end of your rope? You've been delaying, you've been making excuses, you've been putting it off, and you have not received it yet. I remind you what the gospel is. The gospel is the good news that the rule and reign of God has come through Jesus, the king of this kingdom, that God in his love and his grace for you sent his son to die on the cross, live the perfect life, die on the cross, resurrect from the dead for your sin, and that if you believe in him, believe in the gospel, and commit to follow him, you 
will be rescued from the consequences of your sin. If that's you today, it's real simple. There's no magic words or red tape to walk through or hoops to jump through. Just a simple and humble admission, God, I have sinned. I need to be rescued. I trust in what Jesus did for me on the cross. Change my life. And if that's you this morning, I encourage you to find me after the service. I'll be standing up here in the foyer. I'd love to talk to you and pray for you and give you some steps. How does the gospel work? The gospel works its way to you and is received by you. As Greeks, the Thessalonians were a religious people, extremely religious, believe it or not. They were devoted to the, many of the Greek gods of the Greek pantheon. I'm sure you're familiar with their names, Zeus and Poseidon and Apollos and Hermes. But when they heard the gospel, we know that the gospel worked because of what Paul wrote in verse 9. Paul reminds them that they turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. And, and this is the next way that the gospel works. The gospel works in you and redirects you. The gospel works in you and redirects you. I think Jesus explained it best when he said, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Bear in mind that when Jesus is using this word money, he's referring to the God of mammon or another idol. And this is the best illustration. This is masterful on Jesus' part, illustrating this with the slave-master relationship. Why? Because an idol can be anything that competes with God for mastery over your life. It doesn't have to be money. But it's anything that competes with God for mastery over your life. Think about it. Think about the illustration that Jesus is using. A slave who belongs to and serves one master cannot at the same time belong and serve another master. That would be impossible because the authority of both masters would clash over the slave. But put yourself in the place of the slave now. The slave's devotion would also be divided between the masters. Once when Mark Twain was lecturing in Utah, the story says that a, a Mormon friend of his was arguing with him about polygamy. And after this long and rather heated debate, the Mormon friend finally out of frustration said, can you quote one single passage of scripture that forbids polygamy? Certainly, replied Twain, no man can serve two masters. Folks, you can have two jobs. You can have two hobbies. 
You can even play two sports, but you cannot have two gods. In the heart of every human being, there is a throne, and it's a one-seater. It only has room for one occupant. And in this instance, in the instance of the Thessalonians, the gospel worked. How do we know? The Thessalonians rejected the false gods and were redirected to the true God. That is what the gospel does when it is at work. You will see people rejecting their former way of life and walking towards the new life. How about you? The gospel worked in your life. It came to you. You received it. Is it continuing to work in your life? Manny, how can I tell if it's continuing to work? Well, here's one way. Is there an idol competing with God over, for mastery over your life and dividing your loyalty? The gospel will confront that. It will continually lead you away, redirect you away from those idols and towards the living and true God. And again, I think Jesus nailed it when he said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When he was saying this, he wanted his disciples to examine their priorities. You see, Jesus knew how easily that our possessions can become obsessions. And so the mention of treasure is not about how much you have or what you have. The mention of treasure is about what has you, what is controlling you and mastering your life. Is there an idol competing with God and dividing your loyalty? If you don't know, Jesus says, follow the trail of what you treasure. Where have you stockpiled what you value most? Jesus' words causes us to look at, a, look at our spending patterns and ask, what am I spending my money, time, energy, affections, and loyalties on? That'll tell you. For example, do you spend more time shopping at the mall or on Amazon than on your knees? What do you spend your time on first? Do you follow the stock market or your social media feed closer than you follow the scriptures? What do you treasure? Maybe your treasure isn't money, but it could be a relationship, the pursuit of a relationship, a pastime like golf or, or football, NASCAR, music, or video games. Or is it a job that you never take a day off from? You want to know what you treasure? Love. Love can be a dead giveaway of an idol that is competing with God. Because we love the things that we talk about, and we will talk about the things that we love. What do you find yourself talking about? The gospel works. The gospel works. How? It works its way to you, and it's received by you. But then it will redirect you 
It works in you to then redirect you. If the gospel is working in you, it will continually redirect you away from anything that divides your loyalty, away from anyone or anything that will compete with God. Number three, look at the third way the gospel worked in verse eight. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. Number three, the gospel works through you and rings out from you. The gospel works through you and rings out from you. Let me give you a few reasons why we can and should expect to see this when the gospel is working in our lives personally, in our church, and in our community. First, this is the example that Jesus established. When Jesus first invited his disciples to follow him, he started with the end in mind. In other words, he told them ahead of time what they could expect to become if they decided to start following him. He told these men who were intimately familiar with fishing, if you follow me, I will make you fishers of men. You see, this isn't just about something happening to you, but it's about what's going to be happening through you. At the end of his ministry, Jesus even told them that he expected them to make fishing for people their primary focus. This is how Matthew recorded what he said. Go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus not only told them that he'd be with them as they made that their business, but he also told them that they could expect to be empowered to do that in Acts chapter 1, chapter 1 verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. But another reason why you can expect the gospel to work through you, why that should be one of the evidences that you see, if the gospel is really functioning, if it's doing what it's supposed to do in your life, in your community, and through your church, is that it's not, this isn't just a New Testament concept. See, God's heart and passion to work through people, to reach all people, is well established all over the Old Testament. Let me just give you one example. From the calling of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, where God tells him, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation, that nation of Israel. And all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. See, God's reason for choosing and, and wanting to work through the nation of Israel was so they could be a light to the nations of the world. So no wonder that one of the evidences that the gospel worked in the Thessalonians' life, through the Thessalonians' life, was that the word of the Lord sounded forth from them everywhere. It also, that's also the example that Paul set, gave to them. The only reason the Thessalonians had a chance to hear the gospel 
was because it also worked through Paul and wrung out from him. You see, the gospel, the work of the gospel, was never intended to come to us, work in us, and stagnate with us. If it has, then it's not the gospel. It's something else. It was never meant to stay only with you. It's always meant to go forth. Rarely in our years of marriage have we been in the position where we have to find a church where we are going to worship at, but we, find our, we found ourselves there over the summer, and we're still kind of in that place where we were looking for a, a church to, hey, where are we going to settle? And obviously, you know, everybody, you know, we're just like you, you know, we go to church, and our first instincts were like, do you like it? How's the music? How's the certain? You know, you begin to think as if the church, this thing, exists to meet our needs. And we went at it at first, at least, at, like consumers, that, you know, we're here to consume and evaluate its services, its programs, events. What do they have for empty nesters in their mid-40s? Not much. <laughs> but then it quickly hit me, wait, 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 wait a second. Is that really what this is about? Do I really need this thing called church to take care of my needs? I've been walking with Jesus for a minute now. Shouldn't I be at a place where I can feed and take care of myself and nourish my soul on God's word and know where to go when I have? Of course. So we kind of flip the switch and we say, well, well, what we need to ask is a different question. Is this church making the gospel central, a priority? And can we link arms with this church, roll up our sleeves and say, hey, my needs are taken care of. Put me to work. The gospel is supposed to ring through me. It's, I've received it. It's working in me. It's turning me away from all kinds of stuff. Now put me to work. What motivated that for me? For us? It was remembering what the gospel saved me from. How about you? Do you understand? Have you, have you forgotten what the gospel saved you from? Do you understand what awaits the person who hasn't been given the opportunity to respond to the gospel? Do you understand how that breaks God's heart? Are you allowing it to break yours? And so as you evaluate, as you allow the scriptures to, to search you, as you allow God's spirit to work on you, do you see evidence of the gospel working? Hey, it works. The gospel works. God said, hey, wherever I send it, it's going to do what it's supposed to do. If it's not working, the problem isn't with the gospel. 
Here's the evidence of the gospel working in your life, in your gatherings, in your community. Number one, it works its way to you and is received by you. Number two, it works in you and redirects you. And number three, it works through you and it will ring out from you. Amen? And so, Father, we ask this morning, this afternoon, that you would be faithful. Show us your faithfulness to your word, to the gospel that works. There's nothing wrong with it. Within this gospel message, Lord, it contains everything that is needed for life and godliness, for conviction. It contains everything, Lord God, to to change a life, to transform a community, to give us focus, Lord, to anchor us when the bottom drops out, when we're distracted, to bring us back to center. And so, Lord, we ask that you, as you search us, as you convict us, Lord, we ask, God, that you would be faithful to do only you do, Lord, when the gospel goes forth. Use it in us. Use it through us. So to all of Lemoore, all of California, so all of the world, Lord God, can hear the gospel and the, save, the salvation that is available because of what Jesus has done. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, have a great week. May the Lord bless you, fill you with his spirit, and empower you to follow through on what he's taught you today. God bless.